0: december 1930 by various this LibriVox recording is in the public domain great by harold vincent part 3 the air whistled by them as the ship was drawn upward with ever-increasing speed the other passengers cowered in fright as the two men rolled over and over on the floor banging at each other indiscriminately both were hurt carl's lip was split and bleeding profusely one eye was closing But now he was on top, and he pummeled his opponent to a pulp. Long after he ceased resisting them, the blows continued, until the features of Léon Lemaire were unrecognizable. The infuriated Karl did not see that one of the members of the party was creeping up on him from behind. Neither was he aware that the upward motion of the arrow had ceased, and that they now hung motionless in space. A terrific blow at the base of his skull sent him sprawling, must have been struck by a rocket, one of those funny ships that crossed the ocean so quickly. A million lights danced before his aching eyeballs. Lying prone across the inert body of his foe, dimly conscious and fingers clutching weakly, he knew that the cabin was filled with people. Alien voices bellowed commands. There was the screaming of women, the sound of blows, curses—then all was silence and darkness. It was a far cry to the little bookshop off Cooper Square, but Carol was calling for Rudolph when he next awoke to the realization that he was still in the land of the living. His head was bandaged and his tongue furry—a terrible hangover. Then he heard the voices, and they were discussing Peter van Dorn. He opened one eye as an experiment, the other refused to open, but it might have been worse. At least he was alive. He could see well enough with the one good optic. Shh whispered one of the voices. "'He's recovering.' He looked solemnly into the eyes of an old man, a pair of wise and gentle eyes that reminded him somehow of Rudolph's. "'Quiet now, Peter,' said the old man. "'You'll be all right in a few minutes—banged up a bit, you are, but nothing serious.' "'Don't call me Peter,' objected Carl. He loathed the sound of the name—loathed himself for his recent thoughts and actions. "'I am Carl Crassen,' he continued and as such will remain until I die. There were others in the room, and he saw glances of satisfaction pass between them. This was a strange situation. These men were not of the purple, neither were they of the grey. Their garments shone with the whiteness of pure silver, and that's what they were, of finely woven metallic cloth. Was he in another world? Very well, Karl. The kind old man was speaking once more. "'I merely want you to know that you are among friends—your father's friends.' Surprised into complete wakefulness, Karl struggled to a seated position and surveyed the group that faced him. They were a fine-looking lot—mostly older men—but there was a refreshing wholesomeness about them. "'My father,' he faltered, "'he's not alive.' "'No, my poor boy, Derek Van Dorn left this life at the hands of your uncle, Tsar Boris. But we, his friends, are here to avenge him and to restore you to his throne. But—but—I still do not understand. Of course not, because we've kept ourselves hidden from the world for more than twenty-two years, waiting for this very moment. There are forty-one of us, including Rudolph, my brother. We have lived in the jungle since Boris conquered the Eastern Hemisphere, but amongst our numbers were several scientists—two greater than was Boris, even in his heyday. They have done wonderful things, and we are now prepared to take back what was taken from Derek—and more. His life we cannot restore, have rest him, but his kingdom we can, and to his son it shall be returned. And he has cared for you well. We watched, you know, in the detectoscopes, long-range radio-vision mechanisms that can penetrate solid walls, the earth itself, to bring us the images and voices of persons who may be on the other side of the world. We've followed your every move, my boy and the first time we feared for you was yesterday, when the drug of the Tsar's physician stole away your sense of right and wrong. But we were in time to save you, and now we are ready to kneel at your feet and proclaim you our king. First there is the Tsar to be dealt with, and then we shall set up the new regime. Are you with us?' Karl gazed at the speaker in wonder. "'He, a king? Always to live amongst the wearers of the purple?' To be responsible for the welfare of half the world? It was unthinkable. But Tsar Boris, the murderer of his own father, he must be punished, and at the hands of the sun.' "'I'll do it,' he said simply. That is, I'll do whatever you have planned in the way of exterminating the Tsar. Then we'll talk of the new empire. But how is the Tsar to be overcome? I thought he was invincible with his moon-men and terrible weapons. Ah, that, my boy, is where our scientists have triumphed. True, his rays were terrible. They could not be combated when he first returned. The strange chemicals and gases of the moon men defied analysis or duplication. His citadel atop the city of Dorn is proof against them all, proof against the explosives and rays of all kinds known to him. The disintegration and decomposition rays have no effect on the crystal of its walls. It is hermetically sealed from the outer air, so cannot be gassed. The vibration impulses have no effect upon its reinforced structure. But there is a ray, a powerful destructive agent, against which it is not proof. And our scientists have developed this agency. You shall have the privilege of pressing the release of the energy that destroys the arch-fiend in his lair. His dominance, over, the empire will fall. We shall take it. For you." A strange exultation shone from the faces of those in the room, and Karl found that it was contagious his bosom swelled and he itched to handle the controls of this wonderful ray this ray continued the brother of old rudolph carries the longest vibrations ever measured the vibrations of infrared, red the heat ray we have succeeded in concentrating a terrific amount of power in its production and with it are able to produce temperatures in excess of that of the interior of the earth where all substances are molten or gaseous the czar's crystal palace cannot withstand it for a second HE CANNOT ESCAPE. HOW WILL YOU KNOW HE'S THERE AT THE TIME? CARL WAS GREATLY EXCITED, BUT HE WAS CURIOUS, TOO. COME WITH ME, MY BOY. I'LL SHOW YOU. THE OLD MAN LED HIM FROM THE ROOM, AND OTHERS FOLLOWED RESPECTFULLY. THEY STOPPED AT A CIRCULAR PORT, AND CARL SAW THAT THEY WERE HIGH ABOVE THE EARTH IN A VESSEL THAT HOVERED MOTIONLESS, QUIVERING WITH WHAT SEEMED LIKE HUMAN EAGERNESS TO BE OFF. THIS VESSEL? HE ASKED. IT'S A HUGE SPHERE—THE BASE OF OUR OPERATIONS. To it we drew the arrow on which you were fighting—a magnetic force discovered by our scientists, and differing only slightly from that used in counteracting gravity. We let the rest of them go—foolishly, I think. But it's done now, and we have no fear. From this larger vessel we shall send forth smaller ones, armed with the heat-ray. The flagship of the fleet is to be yours, and you'll lead the attack on Dorn. Here, I'll show you the Tsar. They had reached the room of the detectoscopes—a mass of mechanisms that reminded Carl of nothing so much as the vitals of the intermediate levels which he had visited with Leon and Rhoda. He knew that he flushed when he thought of her. What a fool he had been! A disk glowed as one of the silver-robed strangers manipulated the controls. The upper surface of Dorn swung into view. Rapidly the image drew nearer, and they were looking at the crystal pyramid that was the Tsar's palace down down to its very tip they passed karl recoiled from the image as it seemed they were falling to its glistening sides the sensation passed they were through penetrating solid crystal masonry steel and duralumin girders room after room was opened to their view it was magic the magic of the upper levels now they were in the throne room a group of purple clad men and women stood before the dais Leon, Rhoda, all of his wild companions were there, facing the dais. The Tsar was raging, and the words of his speech came raucously to their ears through the sound-producing mechanism. "'You've failed miserably, all of you,' he screamed. "'He's gotten away, and you know the penalty. Taru, the vibrating ray!' The moon-man already was fussing with a gleaming machine, a machine with bristling appendages, having metallic spheres on their ends, a machine in which dozens of vacuum-tubes glowed, suddenly. Rhoda screamed. It was a familiar sound to Karl. He noted with satisfaction that Leon could hardly stand on his feet, and that his face was covered with plasters. Then, startled, he saw that Leon